The most recent GMAT prospective student survey revealed that 34% of prospective MBAs want to go into consulting. In Universum's ranking of top employers globally, five out of the top 15 were consulting companies. I also spoke recently to two experts on the PhD job market, and they said that consulting is a field that more and more PhDs are entering in light of the shrinking tenure track in academia. And certainly, among the applicants I talked to, McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, and Bain Consulting seem to have an almost gravitational pull. Clearly, and despite the travel and long hours, consulting is a career path in demand, at least when one is starting one's professional life. Hello, I'm Linda Abraham, the founder of Accepted and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Before I introduce our special guest, I would like to acquaint you with several free resources that help applicants get accepted, which is something many of you will want to do before you launch your consulting career. Specifically, I want to introduce our reports library. It contains special reports that allow us to go into more depth than a single post or article can possibly do. Or the reports are compilations of related articles. In any case, we'll include a link in the show notes at info.accepted.com slash 57. I'll repeat that URL at the end so you don't have to rush over there now. Those resources that I just mentioned can help you get into graduate school, but I have maintained for years that graduate school is a means to a professional end. One of the most glittering of those professional ends, as I mentioned earlier, is consulting, and I have invited Michael Boritsky to the show today to discuss how to prepare yourself for a career in consulting. Michael joined Firms Consulting in August 2010. Prior to that, he was a principal and director in corporate strategy and finance, where he specialized in turnaround and organizational restructuring of companies, primarily in the energy, mining, and banking sectors. Michael holds degrees in chemical thermodynamics with a minor in physical chemistry. Welcome, Michael, to Mission Straight Talk. Thank you for having me, Linda. Michael, could you tell us a little bit about how you chose consulting, your earlier career, and how you became a managing partner at Firms Consulting? Okay, so the way I ended up in consulting is, I think, a little bit different from the way students make the decision today. Um, Back in my time, um, McKinsey, Bain, and BCG were not as popular at graduate school. Right. The way it worked is that um, if you did well, if you finished in the top 5%, 10% of your class, the dean of the school knew McKinsey partner knew that McKinsey was looking for people and BCG was looking for people and he would send your details to McKinsey or BCG and say, these are the best people, would you interview them? So you know, in some ways I was fortunate to end up at an elite management consulting firm, and I, I liked consulting because I felt that the people were very sincere. I felt that it was one of the few places in the world whereby I could get promoted purely on my merit, and I like the fact that I could work in different sectors roughly every week, every, not every week, but roughly every eight to 12 weeks. And to answer your final question, the way I ended up at Firms Consulting is when I left management consulting, it was really at the time when consulting firms were growing very rapidly. When I was there, it was more of a fraternity. So we, we knew the partners from different offices. And there were a lot of scandals breaking out in management consulting at that time. Approximately what what time was this? This was around 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. 
So when I left, there was a lot of issues with insider trading and so on, which was bubbling through the ranks, which we really saw come to the fore with, with, with what happened at McKinsey. Right. And, and I had a belief that there is a role for a group of ex-partners to go out and train future management consulting leaders at a young age and teach them to be ethical while helping them join McKinsey and BCG. And that's the premise firms consulting is built on. Mm-hmm. We, we, we try to find the best people, irrespective of where in the world they are, and train them to think logically but also be very grounded leaders. Grounded in ethics. Grounded in ethics. Ethics is the core of everything we do. If you look at our website, we, we refuse yeah. to advertise, for example. We say we won't advertise. We will let our results speak for itself. And we, we spend a lot of time speaking to people before we choose to work with them. So it's quite a process to join the program and work with us because we want to make sure that the people that we are training and passing on our skills to almost like an apprenticeship model mm-hmm. will use it to, to practice commerce in a positive way. Okay. Now, this is getting a little bit away from what I had thought we would talk about. Now, ethics can mean different things to different people. It can mean corporate responsibility. It can mean um, integrity. It can mean following a specific code of of conduct. It can mean a religious affiliation. What What does it mean at Firms Consulting? At Firms Consulting, ethics means... The way we define ethics, I think we should start there, is that yeah. we define ethics as being different from something that's criminal in behavior. Okay. Criminal behavior is defined by the laws of a country. Mm-hmm. If you break the laws, you break a crime. Ethical behavior is, is the behavior we say that is not defined by the law because the law hasn't caught up with it yet. So we say that if you had a choice to do something that you know was wrong, but it wasn't criminal, would you do what is right? Mm-hmm. So how do you do what's in the best interest of your clients versus putting okay. your own monetary gains first? That's how we define it. Okay. That's, that's a, an excellent definition. It's basically if you assume responsibility by taking on the role of advisor of a client, you put that, that client's well-being first. Of course. And, I mean, it's not as if we're, we're a group of people who just discuss ethics. <laughs> a large part of our training is about teaching you the hard skills to be an outstanding McKinsey consultant, an outstanding BCG consultant, and so on. But we always build it on the foundation of doing what is right when you have that choice. Okay. This kind of, I think, partially answers um, one of the questions I was going to, to ask, which is, well, we, you, what, are the, what is firms consulting doing in terms of assisting its, its clients and how is it different from a career management center at a top graduate program or a top career guidance professional advising firm? I mean, there are others also. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a big industry. I would say that it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's grown rapidly in the last few years. Yeah. So the question is, you know, what makes us different? I think there's one thing that makes us different. Okay. Um, as far as I know, there is no other organization that recruits retired senior partners from McKinsey and BCG and tells them, okay, why don't you join us because you have the right value system, you understand consulting, and work with us to train our clients. So our clients only work with Mm ex-partners. And why that makes us different is because if you think of how consulting works, 
when you go for the interview, you, you do multiple rounds. Right. In the first round, you normally meet an associate or an engagement manager and sometimes a recruiter. Mm-hmm. And if you do well, you get past the first round and you go to the final round. And the final round, you meet a partner who makes that decision. So our thinking is that if the partner is going to make that decision, if the partner is going to look at you and say, are you someone that I think can be a partner in 10 years, the best way to prepare someone for that is to have a former partner train them. So that's one of the things that separate us. I think the other thing that separates us is our selection process. It is difficult to join our program because if you apply, you don't automatically get in. We go through a three-step process of checking your background. We go through a set of interviews, and only if you pass all those interviews, then we make an offer for you to join the program. So we are very careful in, in trying to take people, and we're not perfect at this, but we try to take people where we think we can get them in and we think they will be very successful in consulting. Does that answer your question? Very well. Now, Firms Consulting has two primary services that at least – from what I could tell on your website, the consulting offer and case interview coaching. is First of all, can you briefly describe those two services? And secondly, is the application process relevant to, bo- to both those services? Is it required for both so the services? Sure. So the application process I mentioned where you have to you know, go to the interviews and so on, mm-hmm. um, we do have a similar process for both, but I'll touch on the differences briefly. Okay. The, the case interview training is basically whereby you apply to join our program. If we think you're a good fit for us, our philosophy, if we think you'd be successful in management consulting and you know, thrive in an environment, um, you end up joining a program whereby you will be coached and mentored by a former partner. And if you are within the top 20% of all our clients based on your performance in the coaching, then we assign two partners to work with you. So that's the, the case interview coaching. We basically help you with everything, rewriting your resume to um, thinking through why you want to be in consulting, preparing for fit interviews, preparing for the cases, helping you select offices and so on. And that's, the, that's where Firms Consulting actually started four years ago. Mm-hmm. The consulting offer is very different. The consulting offer is, um, in, a, in a manner for speaking, if you've ever watched the show The Apprentice, yeah. It's a nicer version of that, <laughs> whereby every year we take, um, we, we, we put out applications and we tell people that we are accepting applicants for the consulting offer. And what happens there is that all those applicants go through the process of being vetted, a set of interviews, and we select two candidates every year that are applying to McKinsey and BCG and Bain. Uh-huh. And we send them down to Atlanta to spend a week with Kevin Coyne who used to be the former co-leader of McKinsey's Worldwide Strategy Practice. Kevin will spend a week preparing them for their McKinsey interviews. He will be doing cases with them, teaching them how to speak. We even have a session where we teach people how to behave in a formal McKinsey dinner, where they go through a real dinner. We record the entire thing, and then we help place those people at McKinsey, and we release that as a show on our website called The Consulting Offer. Mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty much, a, I wouldn't want to use the word reality TV show, but it's watching a former partner train real people to get into a consulting firm. And that's The Consulting Offer, right? It's The Consulting Offer, and it's been fairly successful. In the first year, we had four people go through the entire process. Two got offers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I wouldn't say this year, last year, we had two people go through the process. One received an offer. 
And this year, we'll start taking new applicants probably in a month's time, and we'll probably take two people, and we'll work with them to put them through the September and January recruitment period. So it's quite interesting. It's a very unusual approach to recruitment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, it is. And this is just something that, that uh, so, someone who wants to pursue a career in consulting could subscribe to, and then they could just watch as many of the videos as they, as they wanted. And they, they would have access to both TCO1 and TC, uh, the, the consulting offer one and the consulting offer two. They'd have access to all the videos, correct? Yeah, so it's quite, it's, it's a lot of material. There's 300 hours of videos. Wow. And we cover something like 233 cases. And we show the solutions. We show people how to edit their resumes. So it's a really a big program that we run. And it's certainly one of the most interesting things we do because if you think about it, these people, their names are known, and if we fail to place anyone, it doesn't look very good for us. So <laughs> it's definitely very exciting. So you're posting, you don't, you're posting these interviews as they're going through the process? Or do you wait for the yes. cycle to finish and then, and then post when, when you know the outcome? Ah, I see what you're saying. We, we wait for the interviews to end. Yeah. For the, we for wait for them to either get the offer or to be declined. Uh-huh. And once that happens, we then capture the best moments from the show. We break down each of the episodes to show people how Kevin trained people to speak. And Kevin is, is, is Southern. He's very candid, so he tells you exactly what he thinks. You know, he's... The good thing about having retired senior partners is they're not obliged to say good things about a firm. They can be honest. Mm-hmm. And we post it about a month or two months after the candidate receives the offer. Okay. And you can watch it in real time like yeah. Netflix. I watched a couple of the clips. It was very interesting. Okay. It was very, very interesting. Yes, definitely, definitely. Now, when I was on your site, I saw a review of your case interview coaching, which is, I guess, the, the service where... Uh, a, a partner in firms consulting works directly, consults with uh, a consulting applicant. Yeah. Right? right. I, I saw a review of that, that service left by an HBS MBA grad who received offers from both McKinsey and BCG and felt that Harvard's consulting club and career services did not provide as effective case interview coaching as firms consulting. Now, one of the things you mentioned that you do differently is that you have a former partner conducting the, the case interview coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any, anything else that you feel in your approach makes you more effective? I think we are quite honest in, in what advice we give candidates. And we can be honest because we, speak, we, we take a lot of time to get the note, to, to, to find out what is the candidate's strengths, weaknesses, why they're doing this, what's their personal motivation. And then we can tailor our approach. And I'll, and I'll give you some concrete examples. Right? Sure. One of the most common things candidates do when they get into a program like Harvard is they assume that consulting firms want candidates that are very quantitative. Mm-hmm. So these guys end up taking very quantitative subjects like finance and econometrics and so on. But they confuse the fact that consulting firms are looking for someone who's analytic, not necessarily quantitative. And you can be analytic if you don't take quantitative subjects. Sure. So if you take quantitative subjects, it, it's quite draining on your time to be able to prepare, and it hurts your grades and so on. So one of the things I recommended this particular candidate is take subjects you enjoy, and that will help you graduate as a Baker Scholar because you enjoy it rather than doing a subject you like just because, you know, McKinsey, because you think McKinsey wants it. The other thing we do is that we insist 
that our clients only network with partners at McKinsey and BCG. It's not that we have anything against engagement managers and associates. We just feel that if you have a very unusual profile, you want someone who is equipped to evaluate that profile, and partners tend to be better at doing that. The other thing we, we tell our candidates to do is to avoid case competitions. Hmm. So case competitions are very popular at MBA programs. Oh, yeah. popular at every school. But if you think about it, there is no correlation between winning a case competition and getting an offer from McKinsey and BCG because the skills to win a case competition are actually quite different from the skills to pass a case interview. So, so candidate, this particular candidate, the one you mentioned, mm-hmm. wanted to go into the case competition, and we said, no, don't do it, because you're just going to end up wasting a lot of valuable time. You'd rather use that time to prepare for cases, get rest, focus on your grades, and so on. And the final piece of advice we give candidates is grades matter. A lot of MBA candidates go in, and they worry about networking only, right. and they neglect grades. Right. And I always point out to candidates is that look at any McKinsey or BCG partner, senior partner. They all graduated with distinction, at least 80% of them. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of your life, people are going to look at the way you graduated, and they're going to worry how you graduated. And even if for some reason, if you don't get in now, in one year you can apply, but at that point it matters whether you have strong grades or not. So that's not the counterintuitive advice required. I can mention others, but for the sake of time, I thought I would be concise. Well, that's that's uh, that is different advice. Um, my my sister, who actually graduated from Harvard Law, was very surprised recently because her daughter was rooming with somebody attending a very very good MBA program. And she was just amazed because the roommate was, like, always at networking events. And my sister would ask me, says, don't they have work to do? Don't they have to study at night? I mean, like, what's going on here? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. That is definitely con- contrary to the popular – certainly the part about the importance of grades is, is contrary to popular wisdom. I think the part about taking classes that you enjoy and you'll do better um, – it's, it's no less valid from the fact that I, I think it is kind of uh, popular wisdom, but it's certainly something that I endorse. Um, I believe there are also free re- resources at firms consulting that allow people, I guess, to get acquainted with, with what you do or maybe who are just considering pursuing a con- consulting career and haven't quite decided if they are going to go down that route. Um, can you describe those? Sure. So... I would say the majority of our resources are actually free, and I'll just talk mm-hmm. through them briefly. So if anyone's okay. interested, they can you know, go and get these. I think the first thing that's of interest is we have videos of um, interviews with some of our uh, partners who train our clients. So we've got some interviews with Kevin Coyne on the website. Mm-hmm. They're quite an interesting um, um, introduction to management consulting, McKinsey, and so on. We also have a podcast library, and that's fairly big. There's about 267 podcasts covering all manner of topics about management consulting. I also have podcasts where I discuss in detail projects I've done as a partner, as an associate, and so on. I think the, the third interesting resource we have is uh, a library of articles. There's about 120 articles where we discuss things from projects we've run to how you should position your career to 
how you need to edit your resume and so on. Um, we also have a community. So, you know, the Firms Consulting website is actually a social network, in a manner of speaking, whereby you can register, you can contact other members, you can set up groups with other members, and you can do that all through the website. And we also have um, the other free resource we have is we, we produce these mini documentaries, which uh, where we, we hire directors from countries like Israel and all over the world, and we ask them to capture the journey of someone who is trying to get into management consulting and is either you know, struggling or is not having the best way in there. So it's to make people see that, you know, if you're struggling, you're not the only one. Just hang in there, and eventually everything would work out. So those are the broad areas of the free material we have. Now, are, are those videos that you just mentioned, are those the same videos or the same documentaries that you mentioned to me before we came on the air, or are those separate? These are the same uh, video documentaries, these mini-movies. You said they actually won some awards, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, the... Let me just explain what they are. So what we do is each year we pick a theme, mm -hmm. and the current theme running from September of last year to September of this year is a theme known as the Woman Premium, mm -hmm. and we're producing a lot of articles and movies about the challenges women face all over the world as they try to break into management and sometimes the um, advantages of being a woman in, in business. So. The movies we have is we have one about a lady who moved from Ukraine to Israel and is trying to reinvent her life to go into management consulting. It's called On the Edge, and she made some pretty bad decisions, but at least she's trying to change her life. And that has been shown in film festivals, I think, in seven countries. Wow. And it's won an award in Denmark, and I think it's won an award in Israel as well. Uh -huh. And it's still showing because we only released the movie last year in November. And this year, we have a new theme that we'll be looking at, which is, you know, the revival of the United States, where we're going to look at um, people who have moved to the United States and are trying to make a career for themselves and how they're doing within the United States. So hopefully it will do as well as the movies last year. Well, I look forward to, to hearing more about it. What is Firms Consulting's Emerging Fellows Program? Is that related to these movies? Or that, complete, that sounds like it's completely different. It's completely different. So okay. one thing you probably realize is that we have a very strong social theme within what we do. Yes. And, you know, we always thought, what could we do to give back? You know, do we give a donation? Do we support Greenpeace? And we thought, well, you know, let's take responsibility for the way we want to help the world. So we set up the Emerging Fellows Program. And if you think of our mission statement, it says, Firms Consulting's mission statement is to find and nurture the next generation of management leaders. Uh -huh. And we take the find part very, very seriously. So the way the Firms Consulting Emerging Fellows Program came about is that three years ago, a young lady from Vietnam wrote to me. And she said that, and she explained to me a life story, and she said, Michael, this is my story. Um, I, come from a, I come from a family that earned only $100 a month. <laughs> uh, my background is when I was in high school, my father passed away, and things became so bad that, you know, I didn't have money to go to school. But somehow I made it work. I went to university. I learned English while I was at university. But now I'm really struggling to join McKinsey or BCG because in my country there's no BCG or McKinsey office, and I go to a public school, so can you help me? So I had a lot of discussions with her, and I said, okay, we'll help you. And yeah. we put her through our program, and she, she worked with me, and she became the first person in her country to join the Boston Consulting Group, the first <laughs> person in her family to graduate from university, 
And that program became so successful. And by the way, uh, her name is Sandra, and you can actually hear her interview on the website. So we've interviewed her talking about her background and so on. Well, that program became so successful, we decided to open it up. And we say that if you come from a part of the world with very limited opportunities, but you have the motivation and the, the background, the grades to, to go find life, we'll guide you. And on the website, we also put in a new podcast about three days ago mm-hmm. about a lady from um, Siberia. Uh, she, grew, she grew up in a little village in Siberia. She's a part of the Yakut tribe. And she wrote to me because she wanted a job in the mining community in Russia. And I looked at the grades and I said, look, I don't know what you're doing, but you can go really far in the world. And we worked with her over 16 months to get her to join, which is the most elite university in Moscow. And next year she will do, she'll end up transferring to study in Paris. And in September next year, she'll be going for the McKinsey interviews. That's so we're really looking at bringing people in and hopefully making an impact in the world. You're really changing people's lives. How many emerging fellows are there or have there been total? We've had, with Svita, with the latest one we've taken in, that would be nine. Ha- what's her name again? Svita. Svita? Yeah, S-V-E-T-A. Okay. It's short for Svetlana. Yes. I'll, I'll look on your site. If I can't uh, find it, could you, could you send me a link to it, and then I'll include it in the, in the show notes. And the same with the video you mentioned about um, Senda, Sinda, the, the Vietnamese woman. Oh, sure. I'll definitely send that to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've had nine fellows, of which six have gotten into either McKinsey, BCG, or Bain, and the other three have ended up in either banking or they've ended up in some other career. But I think all of them have been more successful than we ever imagined. That's fascinating. That's wonderful. Now, I'd like to take a a step back a little bit. We've been talking very much about about firms consulting, and I'd I'd like to look now a little bit more about at at the field management consulting, Mm -hmm. okay? So what, what qualities, what character, personality type makes for a good management consultant at an elite firm? And, um, you know, introvert, extrovert, does it matter? I don't think it matters whether you're an introvert or extrovert. And by nature, for example, I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, the qualities, personal traits, let's define it as that. Okay. I think you must care. I think the first thing is you must actually care enough to want to solve someone else's problem. Okay. Because when you arrive at a client site, the CEO may have invited BCG and the CEO may really want you there. But the people you end up interacting with may not want the consultants there because you obviously work with all levels of the organization. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have a bad day. You know, sometimes you wonder, why, what am I doing here? You know, why, does the client not, what, what, why does the client not care that I'm trying so hard? And if you let that get to you, you can suffer from burnout. So I think the first thing is you must want to care about making an impact to the client. Mm-hmm. I think the other one is that communication skills are very important. Um, it, 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 it's, it's not just communication skills on the technical side. You must have the willingness to want to stand up in front of people and be able to work with them and get them engaged because the job of a consultant is to take a very complex idea and make it simple for people to understand. You know, it's not to take something easy and make it difficult. <laughs> and I think the, the final trait, the final personal characteristic, I think, is that 
you must sincerely want to help your peers. If I look at my entire career, the times I've had the most successful projects, which by default means the best outcome for a client, is whereby if I've done my work at 8 o'clock at night and I look at my colleague and he's struggling, I would say, hey, do you want me to spend a few hours or a few minutes helping you? So I think that this ability to interact with your colleagues and want to help them is very important. And there are other technical skills you need, but these are the personality traits that we think that would make you a good consultant. And what about the technical skills? The technical skills, I think three of them immediately jump out. Okay. Reasoning. You have to be logical. Um, You have to be able to take a problem and break it down into its logical components. And, of course, when I joined management consulting, if you were logical, it was good enough to get into McKinsey and BCG and Bain by, by default. But now there's a second skill that's become even more important. While you are logical and you can apply decision trees and so on, you have to be able to extract an insight. So break down the problem using all the tools and decision trees. But if you're just good at applying a technique to break down a problem, then anyone who's applying the technique could get the job. Mm-hmm. So beyond that, the second skill is you have to be able to apply your business judgment, apply your experiences, and be able to extract an insight that someone else could not see. And, you know, Kevin's coin, if you, if you watch his videos, he spends a lot of time trying to force candidates to do that. It's, so it's not enough to be logical. And the third one is obviously the technical side of communication. I would say the first part of that is can you convey an image whereby if you are sitting in front of the client, the client's not nervous because you look nervous, but, you know, you give them some confidence. Mm-hmm. Second, can you speak very clearly? Can you articulate your points across? And finally, can you write clearly? And I do feel writing is a bit of a lost art these days. And as a consultant, you spend your whole day writing reports and PowerPoint slides, and I wish, I hope, you know, consulting firms are starting to put more emphasis on checking those skills. I think those are the, you know, at a broad level, you have to have those skills to be a consultant. Let's say a recent college grad is, is listening to this podcast and is working in a, in a technical capacity. You know, it could be in a, in a bank, could be in a lab, could be in a high-tech company. How could he or she prepare him or herself for a career at McKinsey, uh, Bain, or BCG? Um, is this a grad with a technical background or they're an MBA in a technical field? No, no, I'm telling you right now about a college grad. MBA is the next question. Okay. Okay, so just undergrad. They have a bachelor's or a a BA or a BS. Okay? They may be first year out of school. I think the, I I would say the first thing the grad needs to, to get comfortable is knowing that because you're in a technical career doesn't mean you're unattractive to a consulting firm which in inverted inverted commas, is interested in business and management. I think that's one of the common uh, questions I get from undergraduates. Uh, Michael, Mm -hmm. I'm working in a semiconductor company. Am I attracted to a consulting firm? And the answer is actually yes. Consulting firms like if you have a deep technical knowledge of the subject, right? So, So that's a plus. So what do you do to get ready? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do is you have to make sure that the resume you want to submit 
in six months or three months, start working on it now. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why you have to start working on it immediately. Because typically what happens with undergraduates is that they are forced to rely only on what they've done at undergraduate school, which is some leadership and the grades they received. And if your leadership skills are not strong enough, you tend to be seen as someone who is not a natural leader. So what you should do is try to find roles within your current career and maybe in your social life, whether it's in sports or the nonprofit, where you can take a leadership role so you plug that gap on your resume. Mm-hmm. From that point, I would also say networking is quite important for undergraduates purely because of the sheer number of undergraduates applying. The number of undergraduates applying exceeds the number of MBAs applying. And there are more undergraduate schools that, uh, that McKinsey and BCG recruit from. So it's as if you're a, you know, just one person in a very big pool. And to stand out, it's good to have a relationship with a partner. So once you fix that resume, begin networking. And I think finally, start getting comfortable being able to discuss business topics in the language of McKinsey, which means read things like the McKinsey Quarterly, read things like the New York Times. And, of course, if you read the New York Times, it takes one position, so balance it off with reading the Wall Street Journal will take some alternative position. <laughs> I think those are the things you need to focus on if you're an undergraduate with a technical background. Okay. And what about the MBA who's, you know, didn't hear your advice and has been doing the case competitions, is an active member of the consulting club, um, let's say the fir- first-year MBA, so probably trying to get an in- internship for the summer. Okay, good question. I, I, if I look at why the majority of people do an MBA, there's a group that obviously sees an MBA as a path, as you said, to a, uh, a greater career in the future, mm-hmm. and that's the right reason to do it. Agreed. But there also are also groups who, who don't know better, who read all these stories on websites about how Harvard MBAs and Duke MBAs end up with great offers, and they just say, look, I don't know better, but everyone's doing it, it must be right, and they go ahead and they do it. And then there's a third group who didn't do so well in their undergraduate career and try to compensate for that by doing an MBA to make up for it. Right. Now, when it, comes to, when, it comes, when it comes to management consulting recruiting, this is a, a very little-known fact, but your undergraduate GPA matters enormously even if you went to a good school like Harvard or Stanford. So if you are sitting with something like a 3.3 GPA, you must do extraordinarily, extraordinarily well sorry, in your MBA and show excessive leadership in your MBA to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. So when, when you are an MBA student, first look at the deficiency your undergraduate is causing you and then think about what you have to do to compensate for that. Second, define leadership the way a consulting partner defines it. The VP of a club is not the leader. The VP of a club reports to a leader. Right. So I always tell candidates, don't join six clubs and become the VP of the social event and the VP of the case competition. It's better to become the president of one club and do one thing that is so phenomenal that when someone asks you, what did you do at, for example, let me not promote just one school, let's say, what did you do at the Rockman School of Business, you can speak about something in depth. And then finally, I mentioned this before, worry about your grades. It matters. And don't spend too much time only doing cases. Again, there are very few people who are declined an offer because they did bad at cases, actually. 
you know, there's so much material on the Internet about how to prepare for cases, you are probably going to be pretty good at cases. Mm -hmm. But you're going to be declined because the firm doesn't think you're a natural leader. The firm doesn't think you can communicate your brilliance at solving cases. So, so spend time worrying about communication. Look like someone who's a young CEO in training. I think those things matter. Okay, great. Now, a couple of questions came to my mind as, as you were talking. And there seems to be, uh, I think there's some basis to it in fact, but it certainly is a, a, a truism that you have to go to certain schools in order to get into management consulting. Harvard, obviously, INSEAD, um, Kellogg. Um, and if you're not at these programs, you can't get into the elite strategy consulting firms. But you just mentioned Duke and you just mentioned Rotman. And what about, you know, can, what about Emory in Atlanta? Can Okay, that's a good point. So I'm going to quote some stats that will shock a lot of students here. Um, okay. Of the Harvard class, less than 5% or about 5% are going to join McKinsey, right? That means 95% of that class is not going to get in. Of the 95% who doesn't get in, let's say 30% wanted to get in, right? So at Harvard alone, it is difficult to get into McKinsey, right? And aren't, isn't a, a high percentage of those going from Harvard to McKinsey, weren't they at McKinsey initially? Exactly. Well, that's just the point. And if you look at the other big placement school for um, uh, McKinsey consultants, mm -hmm. it would be a Wharton, it would be INSEAD. Right, In, INSEAD and is enormous. As point out, they take consultants uh, from the analyst level, they then prep them, and those people then return to um, McKinsey and BCG and Bain. So the point I wanted to make here is, is very important is that I, I personally think that the school you go, well, not personally, that we have numbers here. The school you go to, the school that you attend is very important in getting you the interview. But when you get the interview, the school you attended has no bearing on whether you get the offer. Right. So if you want to think about this in a very perverse economic terms, there are a lot of people spending $300,000 to get a McKinsey interview. <laughs> and that is scary. So what I would recommend people do is that most people, I wouldn't say most, I don't want to generalize, but I think there is a large segment of the population that goes to Harvard because it helps with their confidence. Right. And they want to go to Wharton because it helps with their confidence. And I think that if, if confidence is, is the problem you are facing, there are other ways to fix it versus just going to a few schools. It is true that a lot of partners are from Harvard, Wharton, and Oxford, and so on, but those partners have been there for 20 years. So what we're seeing is the outcome of recruiting that happened 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And in the last few years, the firms have made an enormous effort to broaden the net. They've been recruiting much more heavily from specialist fields like PhDs, Mm -hmm. programs and so on. So what I would say is that if you really want to join McKinsey and BCG, honestly, make sure you don't mess up your undergraduate grades. Get into a good MBA program. It doesn't have to be one of the top five. It doesn't have to be the top ten. It can be the top 15. It can be the top 20. It can be the top 30 for that matter. But once you get into a school that's outside the top 20, realize that the support system the school has is not one that is designed to place someone at McKinsey. So you, you can't go to your 
recruiting director and say, how do I get into McKinsey? He or she cannot know because they're not experienced doing that. So if you are in those schools, you have to rely on sources outside of your school support mechanism. But to answer your question directly, Linda, I would say that if you are exceptional, you speak well, you communicate well, you have good grades, and you have confidence, it actually doesn't matter what school you go to. It will be harder to get the interview, but once you get the interview, you will be treated the same as someone who got the interview because they went to a good school. And that's borne out in the statistics. And if you want, I can tell you a very short but interesting story. Sure. Love stories. One of our earliest clients, and I don't want to give away his name yet because sure. confidentiality reasons. Sure, sure, sure. But he went to a school ranked 68th in the United States in uh-huh. that year. Uh-huh. And when, when, he, when he went to the screening interview with me, I asked him very clearly, I'll just make up a name, John. Mm-hmm. Why, why didn't you go to Yale? Why didn't you go to Princeton, Harvard? You have such an exceptional resume. And he said, well, the reason I went to the school is because of the football program. I like football. Uh-huh. And he was, when he came to us, he was 24 years old. He started working 21 years old when he went into college. He took a few years off. Mm-hmm. And he worked for the family-owned business, and he used to be their driver. As the family-owned business grew and it went on to become a very successful business in four years, he got promoted to be the chief operating officer of production for this family-owned business. Yes. With this guy, he, didn't, he never felt bad that he never went to Princeton or Yale. To him, it was just natural he would go to the school he went to because it made the most sense. And when you spoke to him, confidence was never his problem. And that's, that's the essence of the argument here, is that if you have confidence, you believe in your skills, it actually doesn't matter where you go, provided you are smart, you can articulate why you should be at McKinsey, because if you layer the two candidates side by side, he would be as good as any other candidates. Right. And, that's and I, you're assuming also that they do well at whatever school they go to. Of course. You know, you, Excel, you really. 3.9, 4.0 GPA, mm-hmm. exceptional grade. Right. And I always say that if you go to a weak school, you must have exceptional grades because there's no excuse for doing poorly. Right. Absolutely. Now, I've been told that sometimes the GMAT or the GRE can be a, a screening device for interviews at top consulting firms. Is that true? To your knowledge? That is true. It's, mm-hmm. absolutely, it's absolutely true. I mean, if you apply to some well, firms online, they will ask you to submit the scores. Right. And Bain, I think, is actually looking specifically at the IR, at the integrated reasoning section of the GMAT. I think they've said they're going to do it. I, I don't know if they've already started. But okay. I think they will, if they do roll it out, it will happen in the U.S. before it gets to other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yeah, GRE and GMAT are considered. Okay. Um, any last words of advice for aspiring consultants? Okay, so I'm going to say something which would be very counterintuitive here. I think that if you look at the industry which prepares you for management consulting interviews, okay, it is in our interest to make it sound like this is really difficult to get into. Otherwise, why would you buy our services, right? Mm-hmm. So the point mm-hmm. I'm trying to make is that you, you, if you're a young student somewhere and, you know, you, you, if you're not lucky enough to have gone to a school that has a network of people that went to McKinsey and BCG and so on, my advice to you is that there's a very simple 
process you have to worry about. Worry about your grades. It really matters no matter which school you go to. Mm -hmm. So never neglect that. Second is be consistent in taking leadership roles. And I think the third one is confidence matters enormously in management consulting. When, when I was still a partner and I'd recruit someone, I would sit there and i think, am I comfortable letting this young lady or this young gentleman be my representative when I'm not at the client? Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the confidence part is becoming more and more important because there's not a lot that separates the best candidates. So I would say the grades part, easy to focus on. The leadership part is easy to do. Communication and confidence is the part that matters the most. And if you're someone who lacks confidence, put yourself into roles where you are forced to do things that you're not comfortable with and you start building your confidence over time. And because confidence building takes time, this is not something you can decide to do two months before the application. It's something you want to do six months, a year before you want to apply. So that's my simple advice. You can do these things. It's just simple things that you have to focus on. You know, um, what, you're, what you're saying reminds me very much. I don't know if you ever read uh, Rand, Dr. Randy Pausch's last lecture. My wife quotes him all the time, but I've never actually listened to him. Yeah. Um, well, I did listen to the last lecture that he gave at, at Carnegie Mellon. I ultimately bought his book. But he wasn't so much talking about, I don't remember if he used the word self, self-confidence or, or self-esteem or image, but he basically said, whether you want to call it self-confidence or you call it self-esteem, it's developed by doing things that are difficult. Absolutely. It's not by, by receiving gold stars or stickers. Um, that's that's one thing that it, that occurred to me, and, and the other thing that as you're talking through, throughout this wonderful interview, and I really want to thank you, um, is that a lot of people want to go to the good schools or they want to work for McKinsey, BCG, and Bain because they want those institutions or those entities brand associated with their name. They basically don't have the confidence in themselves, and therefore they want this kind of um, credibility sign attached to them and their name and their resume. And what you're saying is that certainly, I'm not sure about the schools, by the way, but certainly McKinsey and the, and the other elite consulting firms are not so dazzled by brand, they're much more interested in what one has actually done. Substance. That is 100% true. Um, you know, what you're saying, you, you've articulated it maybe a little bit better than what I said, even when we get people to network with partners, I always tell them, you must, McKinsey and BCG, in a manner of speaking, want people that they can't get. Because those people are so confident they could literally go anywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and the confidence part is what will distinguish you because, you know, it's so rare to find someone who is so good at technically that there's someone who's not better. So it's not the technical, it's not the grade. They don't really create a long-term competitive advantage. You know, to sum it up, how you do at school only matters for your first job. From there, right. how you perform, and that's driven by your internal drive, your confidence, and so on. Right. Okay. Michael, again, this has been wonderful. I'm really, really sorry our time is about up. I've been enjoying myself. Thank you so much. Where can a listener learn more about Firms Consulting? I think the best is to go onto our website. We post podcasts, videos, and we're about to launch a whole new service in the next month for oh, wow. strategy consultants. So, yeah, thank you so much, Linda. I enjoyed it as well.
All right, and that's firmsconsulting.com, right? That is firmsconsulting.com, yes. And we'll include a link in the show notes at info.accepted.com slash 57 to firmsconsulting.com. And to the resources I mentioned earlier, and I'll check with Michael offline for links to some of those videos that he mentioned. And you can check that all out at info.accepted.com slash 57. Listener, thank you, too, for tuning in to this, our 57th episode. If you found this episode worthwhile, please share the good world good word. We have made it really easy for you to do so. Just go to info.accepted.com slash love. There is a pre-populated tweet there that you can send to your Twitter followers, or you can simply copy and paste into a Facebook or LinkedIn update. And thank you in advance for doing so. And if you have a question you would like answered or you want to provide feedback directly to me, please do so at info.accepted.com slash 57 and scroll down to the image with a mic. You can leave an audio message there by clicking on that mic from your computer, your tablet, your phone, whatever is your pleasure. Alternatively, you can send an email to questions at accepted.com. I'll select questions that I think are relevant to our listeners and answer them. Finally, if you're not yet a subscriber, you can subscribe either through iTunes, Stitcher, or Zoom. This is Admission Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. Our theme music is provided by podcastthemes.com.